You're listening to Inside Lebo, a podcast giving you an inside look at Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, produced by Mount Lebanon's Public Information Office. Hello and welcome to Inside Lebo. I'm your host, Assistant Municipal Manager and Municipal Planner, Ian McMeans. And I'm Public Information Officer and Mount Lebanon Magazine Editor-in-Chief, Laura pace Lilly. Joining us today is Mount Lebanon's newest commissioner-elect, Jeff Siegler. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And you are representing Ward 1. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background, your previous jobs, accomplishments. What can we get to know about you? Absolutely. So I grew up in Lima, Ohio, which is about an hour south of Toledo, hour north of Dayton. And uh, let's see, um, which really later I, I realized growing up in kind of a struggling Rust Belt town had a lot to do with the career I ended up in, but we'll get to that. Uh, attended Ohio Wesleyan University and got a undergraduate degree in economics management. Later ended up uh, really becoming fascinated by the ideas of urban planning and, and land use and, and urban design and how the places that we live kind of affect our lives. So I attended uh, Virginia Commonwealth University where I got my master's in urban planning. Then moved back to Ohio and worked as a Main Street manager in Lancaster, Ohio for a couple years, then took over um, so the, as the state coordinator for the Ohio Main Street program, did that for about 10 years. And that was a really incredible experience of, of you know, every week meeting with new towns and, and new boards and municipalities and really getting a, a pretty interesting vantage, uh, vantage point of, of how community works, how revitalization works and, and what the struggles that, that we're dealing with and, and you know, how, to, how to make a community as vibrant and resilient as possible. So uh, then in 2016, moved to Pittsburgh and uh, started doing some consulting work. Uh, so just out on my own, traveling around the country now as a, as a uh, urban revitalization community development consultant under the, the, under the uh, sort of brash banner of Revitalize or Die is, is my company name. Uh, so needed, needed a lot of attention, but um, and uh, yeah, I've been doing that since 2016 and it's been really incredible. I am very fortunate to have a chance to, to work with communities around the country and passionate people that just want to see their town be as, as healthy and vibrant as possible. So what sorts of things do you help them with? Um, you know, they, a lot of the struggles are the same that, that you know, it, it's, it's usually communities that are a little smaller towns that, that uh, are, are struggling that, you know, don't have their own planning department. And what I've really come to find is that there's a lot of apathy, that there's a lot of communities are really struggling with, with issues of apathy, that, that residents don't really care about their town, uh, that they're not engaged, that it doesn't give them a sense of pride and that there's just no relationship there. Or, I'm sorry, I, I believe everybody has a relationship with their community, but it's, it's deteriorated to the point that most people don't even realize it so they're, they're not getting that back and forth some of those relationships mm. are even toxic if uh, if you want to carry the analogy too far but um so i try to help them understand like how do you rebuild that relationship with your resident how do you make sure that they're the star of the show and that they feel like that their town cares about them that they feel good about where they live that they have these social connections that they feel safe and and mostly that they can feel proud because when we're proud of something we we share it we tend i mean more importantly i think when we're proud of something we tend to it we take care of it, we maintain it, we show it off, um, and it, it actually boosts our own self-image and our own self-confidence. But when something doesn't make us proud, when it's negative, when we're apathetic about it, it, it has the converse. We don't take care of it. It makes us feel lousy. And, and so the fewer things that we have of in our lives that we're proud of, I think the worse off we are in so many ways. So so I, I, I guess I feel like, to, to, um, to ramble on, that 
I feel like too often we've applied these really technical solutions to community development. I think it's a much more emotional thing. I think our towns, the places we inhabit are, are really emotional and, and so that we need to step back and think about how do we make people feel good about their community and not just these sort of technical answers because when, when people are proud of their community, they take care of it and it tends to, uh, that tends to lead to a lot of better outcomes that people won't, don't want to ever leave, you know, that, that that's what retains talent, that's what attracts talent, but more importantly, it just, it feels nice, it feels good and it makes people happy. That's really cool to hear because I feel like a lot of times as the municipal planner, we sometimes get caught up in the quantitative metrics of, you know, did we accomplish X percent of our goals or how much money did we spend towards this, you know, a road program or whatever else that does go towards, you know, maintaining the character of the community. But that qualitative metric gets lost sometimes of just, you know, like you said, how do people feel about the built environment and where they live? Right, right. Uh, yeah, again, we've, we've, you know, that's what I learned in my career. It's like we kept going back to these communities with these sort of technical solutions. It's like, we'll do a plan or we'll throw some money at it. Or if you just do economic development or, you know, X, Y, Z, like that'll make everything better. And it's like, well, guys, we've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years and, and it hasn't worked. You go to these same towns and, and everybody is still apathetic. Everybody feels the same. They're still working with these struggles. And so what dawned on me is we kept trying to drive out of the ditch the same way we got into it. It's like, well, we used to have this major job center. And not, these aren't all applicable to, to Mount Lebanon, but uh, but still, it is it is definitely colors my thinking. And it's you know it's like well we used to have these major job centers and the economy is great and once we get back to that everything will be fine. But that overlooks that that decline changed how people felt. It changed their relationship to their community. And so just undoing that doesn't fix. It's like if something goes wrong in your personal life, you can't just undo that and, and everything will be better. It's actually much more, it's like, how do you get those small wins? How do you get those small victories? What can you do that's a little bit of accomplishment today that you build on and grow on and, and can get back? So yeah, I love your point that it's not all uh, quantitative. It, it really, it's emotional. You know, and, and there's nothing more emotional than our habitat. I, every day that, every time you walk in a building or walk down a street, it's going to affect how you feel. You know, there's certain streets that make you happy that, that you know, maybe uh, make you feel social or feel joyful. And there's other ones where you're like, uh, I can't wait to get out of here. This makes me feel crummy or scared or worried. And I always think that, you know, if a street makes you feel nervous or worried for, for a few minutes, how does it affect you in, in five years or 10 years? Like that's when it does real long-term, it has real long-term impacts on, on your personality, on your decision-making, on your overall well-being so our surroundings really and, and more and more data is coming out about this but our surroundings have a huge impact on our health mental physical social etc wow. so you said you grew up in Ohio did a lot of work in Ohio what attracted you to Mount Lebanon and sort of help the decision to move here sure so um, so I lived in uh, you know my first part of my working career through my mid-20s to 30s is Worked in Columbus, lived outside of Columbus, and just never really fell in love with Columbus. Columbus is a, a very new town and doesn't have much history and doesn't have much character to me. So, uh, um, but I wanted to love Pittsburgh in the region first off. You know that there's some public transportation options, that there's these great neighborhoods, that it's an older city and a lot of character. And so once we started to look at the area, um, it was the busing. You know, I looked for the community that did, saw that Mount Lebanon didn't uh, bus kids to school, and right away that told me so much about the priorities of the community and, and what uh, they valued. And, and you know, it's kind of one of those tell-alls. It's like this is might just be a little thing, but it says so much more of, about the the, uh, the municipal 
municipality itself, and I've, I've found that to be very true, that, that one thing really does uh, lead to a lot of other decisions, and it, it leads to more community character, more, you know, you know that there's going to be more walking, you know that, that parents are going to be a little more, auto more autonomous with their kids, that there's going to be a little more trust built up between, you know, parents and neighbors and the school district, all that just come from, you know, hey, not each of us has, uh, uh, is required to get in this car or get on a bus to deliver kids to school. So what made you decide to run for commissioner? Uh, <laughs> I thought about this a bit, and I think it's uh, uh, three parts. One is uh, uh, guilt, <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't, you know, wasn't my, uh, my first campaign message. But it, it, there is a little guilt in the fact that I'm constantly working with other communities across the country and, and you know, trying to provide them advice and guidance. And then I come home and don't really have a role in mine. And, and uh, the cobbler's children have no <laughs> shoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that started away on me. I feel like there was a little bit of guilt in, in, in not helping or being more of a part of my own town. I think that, that service is a huge part of, of what makes a fulfilling life and that we should all, um, you know, have some service. So service is part two that I do think that, that everybody should. Um, that service to your community or service to a, a, a cause greater than ourselves, be it, you know, your your faith, be it your community, be it uh, whatever, you know, a nonprofit, some cause, and, and that service just makes our lives better and, and, and more fulfilled. So um, the second part was, yeah, I wanted to be of service to this this place I care a great deal about. And I guess third would probably be ego, <laughs> you know, the, the idea that like, oh, I think I know some, I have some ideas. I think that I know um, that I've had enough experience to see what can mix communities better, more self-reliant, more resilient, uh, stronger, happier, uh, and healthier overall. So I thought that probably would be a good idea to, to test some of these theories out. Um, not so much test, but I, I do. I, I'm looking forward to putting some of those uh, ideas into practice in the place where I call home. That's great. And we're very happy to have you as our commissioner-elect. And uh, we're going to take a short break here. And we'll be back with more uh, from commissioner-elect Jeff Siegler. Welcome back to Inside Lebo. We're here with Ward 1 Commissioner-Elect Jeff Siegler. Uh, so Jeff recently was victorious in the general election that happened in November and will take office at the beginning of January at our organizational meeting. So uh, obviously you haven't been, you know, on the other side of the room, sitting at the front of the room, voting, making decisions, but just sort of with your background and experience that you told us about in the first part of the show, what are some of the challenges that you think you might face uh, during your term as commissioner? Sure. Um, one that, that I think has been the case, you know, everywhere I work and, and sort of everywhere I work and certainly the same here is that, you know, change is difficult. That I think that there has been this nationwide response to, to the period of urban renewal and all the you know mistakes of the 60s and 70s to put in processes in place that that make it nearly impossible to do anything it's like well we don't want to make those mistakes so let's make sure we have a and, and for good reason I mean I think that there's good reason we did it but I but it's almost this idea of like well let's never do anything to atone for a time we did too much and, and I don't think that uh, you know stagnation is, is is the right answer for that so I think that in the processes are complicated and it's a lot of steps and and, um, and it just ends up not being 
it doesn't end up creating the outcomes that I think that, that most people want. Um, I think everybody gets frustrated by the process of, of real estate development or, or community change and, and these things that we, you know, it, it's there's a housing shortage across, across the country, but nobody seems to be able to build more housing. There's, you know, I was just uh, um, at a bicycle conference two weeks ago and the, the gentleman was explaining that you know, they've been doing this for 10 years and have added 100 miles of trail in that time. Like nothing is just able to get, is able to get accomplished because of, we're a little bit too process focused. And I think that, you know, it's only at the municipal level where we let the process drive everything instead of being outcome focused. As I beat it to death, it's like if you started with like, when we go to cook at night, it's like, well, what do I want to make? We don't start with, well, what is the cooking process that I've adopted? What 19 steps do I have? Who do I, <laughs> you know, is the flavor committee going to approve of this? And, and right. you know, here's the list of ingredients that I'm allowed to use and then let's see what happens. And, and in the end, we we'd have a lot of terrible meals, I think. And I, I, I do believe that we do that too much. A, a, a municipalities just get too bogged down in the process. And it's like, how can we make this an efficient process even better? <laughs> it's like, well, that's not the idea. And it's gonna be a real challenge, I think, um, here and everywhere else to say, let's start with outcomes. How do we decide what needs to get built? How do we decide what's going to make this community stronger long-term? And then we'll work backwards from there to figure out what kind of process do we need to get there? So um, that's one that, that, that definitely uh, jumps, to, jumps to my mind is going to be a challenge because, man, the processes get really ingrained and, and people will get, become beholden to them because it's like, well, this is what we've always done and I don't want to change that. Um, and second, I think that, that what's going to be um, tricky is I think that there's just going to be a huge change in, in the um, what communities, how communities need to serve their residents, and we're shifting away from a car-based society. I, I really do believe that, and there's a lot of evidence to show. I mean, you just look at the demand for uh, housing in this country, and, and people, more people, want to live in walkable communities. They don't want to be dependent on cars. Miles driven is going down. Car ownership is going down. And you know, there's so many problems that we've seen with being a car dependent. Uh, country and community and, and so first I want to say this before anybody uh, um, is outraged I don't <laughs> you know I, I don't um, have anything against anybody that owns a car what I, I you know I'm not a, a motor haterist what I find um, <laughs> uh, a bit despicable is that we only build places where people where we build places where people are required to own a car just to get groceries just to get to their job and I think that that's been a huge mistake that we've made and that we have to overcome and that we have to figure out how to undo that and you know you talk to an individual and they they'll explain like yeah I love walking places I love this I love they all go to the same places you know everybody loves uptown or Beverly or you know or Lawrenceville or they travel to visit at those same places be it new orleans or charleston but you know and then you talk to the then you mention like well you know we might slow you down at this stoplight or we're going to reduce the speed limit or take away parking and it's like dear god how could this ever happen uh, you know how dare you and so that's a, a bit of a challenge is, is that friction between um you know, moving to what we know uh is, is is more popular is going to be more popular in the future is just going to be it's going to be the way. I mean, there's no way around it that, that cars are, are sort of car addiction is just not going to last. And, and those communities that make that shift to be, you know, uh, more public transportation friendly, more walk and bike friendly are going to be the ones that succeed. They're going to outpace the other ones. So there, there's going to be a little difficulty in moving toward that because drivers uh, don't necessarily like to be slowed down. But, um, you know, this community builds itself as a walkable community. And I think that we need to hold tr uh, true to that. So you talked a little bit about um, some of the challenges. Um, what are your hopes and what is your vision? So when you look at Mount Lebanon at the end of your terms or however long you serve, what do you want to see? Uh, I would like to see um, 
I'm big on standards. So one of the things that I've noticed most that, that in travels in the communities that I work with is that standards matter and that, uh, not to sound too Mike Tomlin here, but... Um, the standard is the standard. <laughs> exactly. But I, I do. I believe that, that that when we let standards drop, it it negatively affects everybody. Nobody's ever and never improved, you know, a business or an individual by letting standards drop. And I think municipalities have a tendency to do that because it's, you know, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want to cause any friction, you know, or, or all these reasons, but it's like, but you know, in, in doing that, we end up hurting everybody when we let appearances decline. I, you know, a, a personal story in the, one of the first few um, years that we lived here, my wife made a comment on, on Facebook about like, oh, town doesn't look great. And she was not nearly, as, uh, it wasn't stated quite that way. And I was like waiting for the, the uh, flame, you know, the pitchforks outside, like people lost their minds. Like they couldn't believe she'd said such a thing. And it's like, but, but uptown doesn't look great. I mean, you know, it's great that we have this streetscape improvement, but there's a lot of buildings that, that aren't in great shape that are a little, and, and that's the most visible part of our community. You think when you come in, the vast majority of people that come into Mount Lebanon are coming up Liberty, getting to the, the Bower Hill corner. And here's this, this lot that's been empty for ages, you know, and welcome to our community. We pride ourselves on our beautiful residential lots. Here's a hole in the earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's so that's a huge part, like standards like that, uh, that it's aesthetic and that's a judgment or that's when people look at that, they make judgments about our community. But even more so, what I find is that those sorts of things help color our own opinion of ourselves. You know, it's like if you look in the mirror in the morning and you're not if you're not thrilled, you might have a bad day. And if you look around at your community and it doesn't look as good as it should. It, it, it kind of affects how you feel and it affects that relationship. So um, so one thing I, I want to make sure to do is really kind of lift up that standard that it seems like the, the municipality does really good with residential, but maybe not quite as good with commercial um, you know, property. And so I think that that's really important that I think it should be as beautiful as it could possibly be. I really do. I think that communities that are beautiful, people love, they, they value, they take care of, they, you know, they show up, they'll get involved, they'll show up to um, whenever they're called upon because it matters so much to them and their identity. So, um, so beautiful, uh, you know, raise the standard, make sure it's beautiful or cute or however you want to say it, uh, that it, that absolutely is a safe place to walk and, and bike and that we, you know, we reduce dependency on cars so that, it, that people have option. Not to say that you can't have one by any means, but that, that, that you feel safe using other modes of transportation. And finally, that, that it's as social as possible. You know, I just, I'm in the middle of reading uh, together by uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, and I've been kind of blown away. I've always thought that our communities don't do a great job of being social places. And this is really, that book has really sort of furthered that, that, narr uh, that narrative in my head that, that man, we're, we're, we're isolated, we're too lonely. And for the most part, you know, communities have, have done a poor job of maintaining places where people can just show up and gather. You know, I know whenever we travel, that's the first thing my wife and I look for. It's like, where's the square? Where's everybody? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Where's everybody? Where are they hanging out? Where are they hiding? Like, you walk past a restaurant and an empty one, you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to go in there. You see a full one. And, you know, so where is that? Um, where are people just showing up and hanging out? And, and we don't have a great spot. You know, we don't have a great spot for people just to show up and sit down for a cup of coffee and be social or, or have, a, have your evening drink outside somewhere uh, in a public setting. So I think the public realm is, is really critical to, for people being social and feeling rooted and having, you know, feeling engaged. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're attached to the community when we're attached to the people. And so we have to make it easier for people to get together, convene and hang out. And um, so, yeah, those are kind of the three things in my mind that I want to see. Um, happened uh, during during my uh, tenure 
Great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today on Inside Lebo. Um, do you have any other parting thoughts uh, before we head out? Uh, just appreciate everybody in Ward 1 that came out and voted for me, and I, I uh, hope to do you proud. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Jeff Siegler, our newest commissioner-elect, and uh, Jeff will be taking office at the beginning of January, and his commissioner contact information will be available on the municipal website after he is sworn in, so folks looking to contact him can get in touch with him that way via his official municipal contacts, uh, which will be available in January. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having this me. This episode was produced by Carrie Munyo with theme music by Drew Munyo and artwork by Chris Leeper. Join us again soon for another episode of Inside Lebo. Thanks for listening to Inside Lebo, produced by Mount Lebanon's Public Information Office. Learn more about all things Lebo at mountlebanon.org or by following our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages.